Welcome to the preaching podcast from the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church in Bonners Ferry, Idaho. In 1 Timothy 3.15, it says that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Therefore, we believe it is our duty to hold fast and to hold forth the truth, which is the Word of God. We're glad that you're listening and hope that you will be encouraged by what you hear today. stand if you would then. We'll read all 13 verses of Revelation chapter 8. Our focus tonight will really just take us down uh, through about verse 6. So beginning verse 1, and when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings And an earthquake, and the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. The first angel sounded, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood, and they were cast upon the earth, and the third part of trees was burnt up, and all grass, green grass was burnt up, and the second angel sounded, and as it were a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and the third part of the sea became blood." And the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died. And the third part of the ships were destroyed. And the third angel sounded. And there fell a great star from heaven burning as it were a lamp. And it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters. And the name of the stars called Wormwood. And the third part of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. And the fourth angel sounded. And the third part of the sun was smitten and the third part of the moon, and the third part of the stars, so as the third part of them was darkened, and the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. And I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels which are yet to sound. Thank you. You may be seated. Obviously, we begin going from the seven seals. Now we, if you would, transition into the seven trumpets. We've said what happens as we work our way from the, from the seals into the trumpets and then eventually into the vials that are poured out. The judgment of God is intensified with each one of these. And as you work your way through the book, that's what you're going to find. God's judgment is intensified. As His judgment intensifies, man's rebellion on earth intensifies in response. And so... This is a period, of course, where a false Christ is going to be set up, and that's, that's what this is leading up to, a Savior to save the world, supposedly, because the, the first and true Savior has been rejected, and we'll say, of course, more about that as we get closer. But what happens is, of course, chapter 7 is a break in the judgment. We said in chapter 6, the sixth seal, and what you find in, in the first six seals really is God just, His judgment is just His removal of His mercy. God, God pulls out protections away from earth. And, uh, and I think we see t- touches of that today. I personally, I'm going to give you my, my views, so just try to use this as an illustration. 
her today, Brady and I were riding together, took him to Sandpoint for therapy, and I hear on the news that some school is going to build a bulletproof school uh, classroom in their school, and this may become the new pattern for the public schools to build bulletproof classrooms where the children can run and hide if a school shooter comes. I believe this, if you can look at a chart and a graph from when the United States officially took their position, no more Bible, no more prayer in schools, and lay that next to school violence, there's a very little gap between when that official decision was made by the United States Supreme Court and when school violence began to come and then increase. So our school system in America made a choice. We don't want even really any reference to the God of the Bible, His Son, Jesus Christ, in any official capacity. I saw video coming out of Zambia this week, some guys down there preaching. They are preaching to 500 students in the public schools at a time, freely, openly, invited by the government. Now, what a difference. How much wiser in that, are the Africans than the Americans in that regard? And so... Uh, what we see then is, I believe this has happened. As we have taken an official position as a nation to say, no, God, you're not welcome, I believe the Lord has said, okay. There's no, there's, we've watched a hedge of protection removed from those places. And that's what you see happening on earth as a whole in the first six seals is what is naturally here is intensified. There's already disease here. There's already war here. There's already um, pests that spread disease um, and so forth that's talked about in those, in those sealed judgments. But God removes the boundaries of protection that keeps those things from it. Famine is already here, and all those things are intensified as simply God pulls back, it would seem, uh, his, his, his hand of protection. But once we come into chapter 8, things change. The trumpet judgments, God begins to actually not just allow the sin curse to manifest itself in a manifold way, he actually begins to incorporate wrath and judgment in an active way. You see that in the sixth seal, really, with the earthquake that takes place. The wrath of the Lamb is poured out in an earthquake. But it's just going to intensify more and more. There's a number of things I think we can glean from these first few verses in chapter 8. So let's start in verse 1. We're going to get three points out of this chapter. And, of course, our first two points are going to take us through verse 5. Then we start getting into the trumpets, and we may just cover a trumpet a week. I'm not sure how that's going to work. We'll see what time allows. But in verse 1, the Bible says, And when he had opened the seventh seal. So, again, we're just picking right back up where we left off in chapter 6, verses 12 through 17. That was the opening of the sixth seal. And then everything stops. You think about this for just a moment. You're on, you're on earth. All right, now if you're saved, you're not going to be on earth. God's going to catch you away, but there, you're on earth and this judgment begins to be poured out. Those six seals have been opened and all of a sudden, everything's calm again. Everything's good. There's a period of time where it all stops. How long that period is, it's not long because if we understand things correctly, the tribulation period is seven years long. It's Daniel's 70th week. But the fact is there is a break. There's a break in the, in the judgment undoubtedly someone's going to respond, many are going to respond like Pharaoh. Remember what happened when Pharaoh got respite? He hardened his heart. And you'll see that pattern through the book of Revelation that as God judges the people that have denied him, the people that have rejected the gospel get harder and harder. But nonetheless, God gives respite here. You wonder if some of the unbelievers on earth are going to begin to, and I, again, just thinking out loud, we need to think through the book as this happens. There's this pause as God says, Hurt not the earth or the trees until I've sealed my servants. He seals those 144,000. This, this worship of the Lord is taking place in heaven. 
and there's a little bit of respite on earth, but when God's judgment begins to come again, it's coming with an intensity that it's never been poured out with before. And so that's what brings us into chapter 8. It's been, chapter 7, a bit of a respite from the seals that were opened. So there's this small break between chapter 6 and chapter 7. But then the Bible says, And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. How many of you are already uncomfortable? Now you want to sit here like this for 30 minutes? How many of us understand silence is tremendously loud? We've just come out of worship. People are around the throne saying, amen, hallelujah. The angels are worshiping. The Lord Jesus grabs the seventh seal and opens it. And we'll say more about that in a moment. But there's not only silence, but it's, it's a prolonged silence. And so see three things about the silence in heaven. That's our first point here in verse 1, silence in heaven. The cause of it is the Lord Jesus Christ moves again. The judge of all the earth goes back to opening seals. He's opened six of them. Now we're coming to the final seal, the seventh. And certainly there was an anticipation because you go through those four horsemen and it's famine and death and disease and, and those kind of things, economic uh, uh, issues taking place. And those four uh, horsemen, the first four seals are open. And the fifth is the saints crying from under the throne, the, the, the persecuted saints, Lord, how long... And then there's, it's almost like a prelude to what's coming. The great earthquake is the sixth seal. And then there's this pause. And there's worship of the Lord. And then the Lord grabs the book and there's one more seal. And when he opens it, the cause of the silence is that the Lord Jesus Christ has moved again. This just reminds us. I've circled in my Bible in verse 1 just where it says, And when he, John doesn't explain again who he is. It's already been established the only one that's worthy to open the book and open the seals is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're reminded that the Lord Jesus Christ, and we need reminded of this in this, in this culture, uh, in this, uh, this culture of supposed Christianity. You're going to have to bear with me for a minute. Pardon me for a minute, but we need to speak of this for just a minute. In a time when the Lord Jesus Christ is being so falsely represented, uh, the films that are coming out are portraying him in a way that he is, he is soft on sin, in a way that he is somehow... It's very different than the Christ of the Bible. And we're reminded through the book of Revelation that just as much as the Lord Jesus Christ is the gentle, meek Savior who came and laid down his life sacrificially and intentionally, he is a conquering, coming king. He is what the Bible calls in 1 Timothy the only potentate. He is the righteous judge. The Bible says our God is a consuming fire. And that's how we have the Lord Jesus returning to earth in Revelations. When he opens the book, have you ever sat in a courtroom and you're waiting for a verdict? Maybe it's not a jury trial, but it's a judge that's going to pronounce judgment on someone. Maybe you've not had that experience. But when the judge comes, or even if it's the jury, you know what happens? It gets quiet. It's very, very quiet until they hear what the verdict is. That's what you have going on here in chapter 8, verse 1. The Lord Jesus Christ, the judge. You know what? One, one commentator referred to this book with the seven seals as the title deed of planet Earth. Christ Jesus has it. He owns it. And he's opening the seventh seal and his dealings with a planet, if you would, that under Satan's leadership has rebelled against him, though he has offered them peace. Now it is in full-blown rebellion 
And not that there won't be people saved during this period, as we've already discussed there will be, but the cause of silence is the Lord Jesus Christ uh, on the move again that tells us something of his significance, his preeminence as the righteous judge. The continuation of the silence tells us of how long. The Bible says when we need to open the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. And I really believe that just gives us a concept of how, what the atmosphere was. And you think about this. Prior to this, things had been quiet on earth and loud in heaven. The, the judgment had gone silent on earth while there's rejoicing in heaven around the throne, the worship of God, those untold multitudes of people around the throne worshiping the Lamb. They're robed in white. There's a reminder of what Jesus Christ had done through shedding His blood on the cross and paying for our sins. And they made their robes white through the blood of the Lamb. And there is noise going on in heaven. And while there's rejoicing and worship around the throne, everything's quiet on earth. But now things are going to change. It's going to get quiet in heaven. And it's going to get not so quiet on earth. The judgment of God's going to be poured out again. So a half an hour again. We paused for about 30 seconds, half a minute a few minutes ago. And that's uncomfortable. How many have ever sat through a moment of silence? Somebody said, we're just going to be quiet for two minutes to recognize maybe a, a fallen soldier, fallen firefighters. And well, that's, that's uncomfortable. It'll get your attention. Half an hour in heaven. Not a noise. You know what that's it? That tells us there's anticipation. What's coming? Oh, what's coming? You know what? We need this kind of reverence for the Lord. You know, there's a time to be still and know that He is God. Amen? The time to be quiet before the Lord. There's a number of verses that speak to being silent and quiet before the Lord. And uh, you can read that. Habakkuk 2.20 talks about that. Zechariah chapter 2, verse 13. We're not going to turn there for time's sake. Good references to talk that, that reference the whole earth being quiet and silent before the Lord. Again, that's Habakkuk 2.20. Zechariah 2.13 speak of being silent before the Lord. So the cause of silence, the Lord Jesus has opened the seventh seal. The continuation, it's for about a half an hour. And then the consideration is what we've already been addressing. The silence speaks volumes. The opening of the seventh seal says a tremendous amount. It tells you there's an anticipation something's coming. Now, here's what's interesting. One of the next things going to be dealt with is the prayers of the saints are brought up before God. I, I, as I read this text, it seems to me like this. The seventh seal is open. There's going to be seven angels that appear here in just a moment. They're going to be all given trumpets. Everybody knows something's coming. It gets real quiet. Heaven's on a hush. And then the next thing happens, you're going to have an angel that brings the prayers of all saints before God. It's as though God says, quiet, I want to listen. One of the things we're going to see in a minute is the, the importance of prayer in heaven. I'm convinced of this. I, I try my hardest to value prayer as God values prayer. And as much as I'm convinced I'm standing here, I'm sure I don't. I want to. I look in the Bible and I see how important prayer is. I read a text like this and I say, God has put such a priority on prayer that when the Lord Jesus Christ walked this earth, he would rather pray than eat. I mean, his life proved it. <laughs> and then when we come to this text, you find that all of heaven goes quiet while God listens to the prayers of his people. It tells us the importance God has placed on prayer. You know why prayer is important to God? 
Genuine prayer is our expression of trust in Him. How many of you have ever had someone, if, you're, if you've had children, at some point in time, you've had someone trust you implicitly. When they're this big, they are depending on you. How many of you know when your little child comes to you needing something and completely dependent on you to give that to them, you find delight in them trusting you like that? Them saying, Daddy, could you help me with this or can you help me with that? Now, when they get big enough to do it themselves and the request is, I don't want to do this, would you do it for me? That's different. Sometimes we pray that way. Lord, would you please do this? No, I told you to do that. I will empower you to do it, but I won't do it for you. Huh? But here you have genuine prayer, people crying out to God. And I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but the silence, we need not gloss past the verse real quick. Say, oh, well, there was silence in heaven for half an hour. And you ponder what that sounds like. You've heard silence is golden. We would all do well, by the way, to learn how loud silence is. Wherefore, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. How many have ever had somebody ask you a question, and I'm going to get off base, off, off point for just a moment, but somebody ask you a question, you think, I don't know what to say. Or maybe someone asks you something or says something that's out of line, and they want you to quickly laugh at them, laugh with them, or join them in agreement. And you think, I can't do that. I can't agree with you. But then you think, but you frame that in such a way, I don't know what to say in return to you. You know what you say in return? Nothing. And many times, if you'll not say anything, they'll go, I shouldn't have said that. Then you can say, you're right. <laughs> silence speaks volumes. 30 minutes of silence, loud. So it gets very, very quiet in heaven in anticipation of what comes next. Verse 2, and I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Now, we're not getting out of line here, but I want you to skip down. Let's miss verses 3 through 5 because it introduces us to these seven angels with seven trumpets. It says, these are seven angels that stood before God and to them were given seven trumpets. Verse 6 says, and the seven angels that had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. So there's two sets of angels we're introduced to here. And people get funny about angels because there's a bit of a mystery surrounding them. Angels are not men. They are higher in order in creation than men. We know Gabriel's been around for a long time. He visited Daniel, and then hundreds of years later, he visited Mary and Joseph. So angels aren't like men. They don't, they don't marry, neither are they given in marriage. The Lord Jesus makes that clear. But they have human characteristics. They can communicate. When they would appear on earth, often they would appear as a man. There's an entire series of lessons and messages we can teach about angels. Primarily, though, you know what angels are? They're messengers. They, they go back and forth between heaven and earth, communicating with God and then communicating with men. The Bible says there are angels we, that visit us unawares. A preacher asked one time, do you think you've ever been visited by an angel unaware? He said, if I was, I was unaware. <laughs> That's the whole idea. I don't know. The fact is angels work on behalf of God. They're not men. And of course, we know Satan is a fallen angel. But there's these seven angels here and these are the seven angels that are going to sound. The last three are called three last woes, angels 5, 6, and 7. There's a lot of time given for that. Chapters 9, 10, and 11 are about the last three angels. You get the first four angels in a handful of verses. You get the last three angels in a handful of chapters. So those last three woes are important, and there's entire movements that twist that out of their context and make uh, an entire movement built on those last three angels and have their eschatology all out of course. But the fact of the matter is, there's these seven angels. They are provided with trumpets. 
And may I say this? There's an entire study you can do on trumpet sounding in the Bible. There were trumpets in the, in the Old Testament. Some were, were uh, to tell the camp it's time to rise and move. There was a trumpet that was a call to battle. There was a trumpet playing at the end of the year for jubilee. All sorts of uses for trumpets. But the seven angels are now handed seven trumpets. But before they can sound, the Bible says, verse 3, And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before, our God, before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar, uh, of the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. Here's what you, you see taking place. Here's an angel. Now, he's not the mediator between God and men. There's only one mediator between God and men. That's the man Christ Jesus. And we won't take time to turn there, but if you were to turn to Romans chapter 8, the Bible says that the Spirit itself helpeth our infirmities. See, he offers prayers on our behalf with groanings which cannot be uttered. I get a picture here that the Holy Spirit provides sweet-smelling savor to mix with the prayers of the saints, to make them what they ought to be before God. We have a Savior working on our behalf in heaven. Do we not have a mediator in heaven? The Bible says the angel was given incense. Who do you think gave him his incense to mix with the prayers of the saints? How many of you know how to pray perfectly? One of the things I get discouraged about in praying is I am not good at it. I work at it. I try to pray. I want to pray like I'm supposed to pray. I endeavor to pray the way I'm supposed to pray. But my prayers, I think if I were the Lord, I don't know how much I would listen to my praying. Some days I feel like it's polished and well, and by the time I'm done, I'm convinced it wasn't because I thought so well of it. <laughs> you with me? Prayer is one of those difficult things. But nonetheless, look what God does with the prayers. And the Bible says the prayers of all saints. Now, saints are not people like the apostles and certain select individuals. Saint is every born-again person. The Corinthians were called saints. And if the Corinthians are saints, we're in good shape. <laughs> you know why they were saints? They were sanctified in Christ Jesus. They were washed in the blood of the Lamb in Christ. And so how many of the prayers of God's people does God keep up with? All of them. All of them. There's not a prayer uttered to the Lord by faith that he loses track of. That's a lot of record keeping. Here's what's interesting to me. He's kept all of these, and here we are coming toward the end of the world, and these saints are brought, or these prayers are brought, and they're put on the incense altar, and incense is given to mix with them. Again, I believe you could go back and look at Romans chapter 8, that the Spirit intercedes with, for us with groanings which cannot be uttered because we know not what we should ask for as we ought. You know what's important? What is important is to pray. No prayer is going to be offered to God that wasn't offered to God. It's not going to be delivered to him. What you find is this angel bringing a report through the prayers of his saints. Now, God's eyes are in every place. But he's bringing the report of what God's people are going through on earth. And he's laying that on the altar of incense before God, mixing it with the incense. And as it comes up before God, God hears and smells the prayers of his people and realizes, you know what, you know what help me here tonight. What initiates prayer in your life more than anything else? I know when everything's going smoothly, we just, man, we are praying people. When the finances are good and health is fine and the church is doing well and family is good and everybody's getting along, it's, Lord, please. No, no, no. 
Nothing moves prayer more than the effects of sin. As we feel the effects of a sin-cursed earth, we pray. That's why persecuted people are praying people, more so than any other. Remember when Acts chapter 12, what the church was doing when Peter was in prison? They were praying, 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 praying. And so many times we want our troubles to go away, but the Lord allows them to remain because it keeps us in constant communication with him like it ought to. Don't despise trouble in your life. It'll keep you right with God. Amen? It's just a truth. And so we have to learn to glory in our infirmities and rejoice in those things that make us or reveal our weakness because when we're weak, then are we strong. So you have the prayers being offered up by this angel delivering them. So he's communicating to God what people on earth are groaning. Remember, we, we, we groan. We don't know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit of God delivers that on our behalf. He searches our hearts and prayers offered up by our mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. And many times in Scripture, prayer is likened to incense on the altar. Uh, Hebrews talks about uh, a sacrifice well-pleasing to God as thanksgiving from our lips and so forth. And so this, this message of the angel is, ministry is to offer up the prayers of the saints and mix the incense that he's given with that and it comes up before God. Verse 5 again, and the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire of the altar and cast it, excuse me, back to verse 3, excuse me. And another angel came and stood at the altar with having a golden censer and there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne and the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. So prayers of saints on earth, offering prayer, the angel mixes the incense and God smells it. He knows that his people are praying. Then the Bible says the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. So he's delivered what's going on on earth up to God through that incense. Now he's going to respond to why those people are praying and he's going to take fire off that altar and he's pouring on earth. It's a picture of judgment meaning God's response to the prayers of his people was, all right, I'm going to deal with this. And this draws out, this gives us a message here tonight. Turn very, back very quickly. This is where we'll conclude this evening to uh, Revelation chapter 6. While I believe, of course, this is the, the prayers of all saints, the context of this text would tell us this is a specific kind of prayer. The fifth seal, you remember, was God's saints saying, Lord, how long? How long, remember, how many godly people suffer persecution? All. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Now, if tonight you and I think simply that persecution is you have to be decapitated, stretched on the rack, hung upside down, boiled in oil, or thrown in prison, those are all extreme forms of persecution. But if you read John chapter 5, Jesus healed a man at the pool of Bethesda. And after he healed the man, he went and told the Pharisees, scribes, who had healed him. And they came, and the Bible says, and they came and persecuted Jesus. To my knowledge, they never laid a hand on him. But they came and they gave him grief. They, they heckled him. They, they tried to trap him. They accused him of breaking the law, right? They persecuted. How many of us understand persecution is not just physical? I believe this. You've ever tried to give somebody the gospel and they threw it back at you, a gospel track, or slammed the door in your face or cussed you out or your family has chewed you up one side and down the other, accused you of being a cult, accused you of hating people. You have suffered persecution. 
There are different levels. And it's important that we understand this. Because there are Christians, Case and I had this conversation today. There are Christians who say, I've never been persecuted. Meaning you've never had an adverse effect for being a Christian? Then there's something wrong with your Christianity. If you've never felt any grief for being faithful to Christ, something's wrong. Now, if you say, I've never been imprisoned, praise God. There's a lot of Christians that were never imprisoned. I was not, I've never been beaten with you know, 40 stripes, save one. Praise the Lord for that. But if you can live a Christian life and never be persecuted, you've not lived a Christian life, nor have I. That's just the truth. If no one's ever gotten angry at you for your love for Christ and what he's done for you, if you've never had people at your work mock you or show some filthy thing in your face trying to get you to sin, friends, that's all a form of persecution. And you know what that'll cause you to do? It'll cause you to go to the Lord if you're going to walk with the Lord and say, Lord, I need help. This pressure is, is getting to me. He hears that prayer and he hangs on to it. How many prayers do you think God has gotten from his people afflicted on this earth, this sin-cursed, sin-loving earth? How many prayers do you think have gone up before God in desperation saying, I'll be honest with you, there are times like, Lord, <laughs> I am sick of living in a sin-cursed body and in a sin-cursed world. Honestly, the longer you live, the, the sweeter heaven ought to be. And the fact of the matter is, and I don't think you have to be old to say that, just know what this world is made of. It's wicked and sinful and filthy. And sometimes our hearts are broken, and we pour that broken heart out to God, and it's broken because of the sin that's all around, the brokenness. How many of you have ever wept over somebody whose life is broken through sin? That's what's going on here. It's as though we're saying, Lord, how long? How long until you do what you promised? You said you're going to return. You said there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. One of these days, you said you're going to reign on this earth. Many a Christian is not saying how long, like, Lord, please come. It's, Lord, how much longer can I enjoy this world? No, 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 that's not the heart of a child of God. The heart of a saint is, Lord, how long? Look, if you at Revelation 6, the Bible says in verse 9, and when he I had opened a fifth seal. I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? May I, may I say this? The record of humanity is that wicked people have done evil things to God's people and really never paid for it, it sometimes seems true and we have decades if not we have <laughs> go to the dark ages you have hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of years of blood being shed christian blood being shed by wicked wicked men because they hated the gospel and they hated christians and it just seems like they lived and died successful lives and they say how, how long lord you you know what, you, why would the the folks in revelation 6 pray this way how long till you avenge our blood? Because the Bible says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. There's a principle here that you and I are not allowed to take vengeance on those who persecute us. Our Lord told us that. We're to love our enemies. Well, and in so doing, Christians suffer worse than any others. Because we're to love our enemies. We're to pray for those that... That, that hate us and despitefully use us. And if we're going to be a saint, and we are saints, we're to obey the Lord, then I, I hear some Christians today, and it's as though they're looking for an avenue to get back at the enemies. You know, that's God's business. 
It's God's business to avenge wrath on the wicked. And once we make it our business, we're out of God's will. Vengeance is mine, the Bible says. Let me give you some text of scripture on that very quickly. So you have some people in Revelation who are relying on the Lord, keeping his word. Lord, you said you'll take vengeance, but, but how long? And there's a point where the flood of prayers comes up before God, so much so that there's silence in heaven and God is listening and it is though God says, long enough. I've waited long enough. I'm going to tell you something. God is long-suffering, but he is not eternally patient. Some translations of the Bible read that way in 2 Peter chapter 3 that he is everlasting, his everlasting patience. Everlasting patience and long-suffering are not the same thing. Long-suffering has an end. So if you would, very quickly, Deuteronomy chapter 32. If you want to turn there, fine. If you just want to listen to the reading, that's fine. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 43. God speaking to the nation of Israel. And so much of the tribulation period is about, it is about God dealing with the nation of Israel and ultimately restoring them, keeping his promises to them. Deuteronomy 32, 43. Rejoice, O ye nations, with his people... For he will avenge the blood of his servants. and He will render vengeance to his adversaries and will be mindful unto his land and to his people. How many of you say the atmosphere on earth right now is God taking vengeance on wicked people? They're getting their... No, they're pretty successful these days. Agreed? There are many places on earth tonight where God's people are under severe persecution. And those that are persecuting are some of those powerful people on planet earth. It's no wonder there's a Christ saying, Lord, how long you promised to revenge? When will you do that? When will you do that? Now, just a couple more texts here just to establish this truth. Psalm 94, Psalm 94, verses 1 through 3. This is a, a truth throughout the entire scripture that the saints, we're, the patience of the saints is we are willing to suffer for his sake, trusting that he will ultimately deal with our enemies in his own good time in justice and patience and mercy. Psalm 94, verse 1. O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongeth, O God, to whom vengeance belongeth, show thyself. Lift up thyself, thou judge of the earth. Render a reward to the proud. Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked triumph? And folks were praying this thousands of years ago, 2,500, 3,000 years ago, and so much more. And over the decades of time and over the millennia of time, all those prayers of God's saints have accumulated until there's a point in heaven where they're offered on the altar of incense and the smell comes up before God and it's the prayers of God's people that move him to say, blow the trumpets, now's the time. I tell you what, this tells us of the significance of prayer in heaven. The prayers of his saints is what's going to move God to begin to really deal with vengeance, meaning... God's going to keep his word. But you know what? You know what prayer is? This is, tells us, this is much of a lesson on prayer tonight. Prayer is bringing God's own word before him, reminding him, not because he's forgetful, not because he's stupid, not because you and I pressure him or manipulate him, but you and I need to know the promises of God enough to note them in prayer and say, Lord, you promised this. You promised to deal with wicked people. And Lord, they are flourishing in our day. How long, Lord? Not, not out of a vengeful heart of our own, but knowing that's God's department, not ours. We are to entreat him based on his own word. The power of George Mueller's prayers. He prayed according to the scriptures. He knew the promises of God and he claimed them. 
and rested on them and pleaded with God. I believe the Lord wants... How many of you have ever had your children remind you of something you promised them? And I'm not talking about being a manipulator, but saying, Dad, do you remember you said... My kids have to do it. My goodness. Dad, do you remember you said two years ago if I saw the first bluebird in spring, you'd buy me a milkshake? Oh, yeah, I do remember that. I think I'm caught up right now, though. I think I'm caught up. But the fact is, they have to remind me of my own words sometimes. You know what? I want my kids to trust me. And if they bring my promise back up to me, you know what? I'm not bound by their desire as much as I am bound by my own word. And that's what we see taking place in Revelation. So there in Psalm 94, if you would go to Romans chapter 12, verse 19. We're almost done. Romans chapter 12, verse 19. We're commanded expressly in Romans 12 not to take vengeance for ourselves. The Bible says, and he's going to reference the Old Testament text we've read, and there's others as well in other portions of Scripture, but those two we've read are very plain. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 19, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. You have saints that have obeyed Romans chapter 12. They've obeyed it. Said, Lord, we have not taken vengeance on our enemies. We fed them. We clothed them. We prayed for them. But Lord, you said you would deal with the wicked. How long? That's the cry of the fifth seal and these prayers before God and the response. The reason I believe that's the nature of these prayers is the response from the angel. After the incense reaches the nostril of God, the angel then dips that censer into the coals and says, all right, we've heard the prayers coming from earth. This is God's response. He pours out some judgment on the earth. And we'll see what that response was from earth in just a moment. And so then, uh, one final text, Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, and then we'll go back to Revelation and wrap it up. Luke chapter 18, uh, verses, oh, let's see here. We're going to do verses 6 through 8. Luke chapter 18, verses 6 through 8. The parable of the unjust judge is what is given here to teach us about prayer. By the way, we need to persist in prayer. We don't pray something one time and say, well, if it's really, really good prayer, God will answer you real fast. If you pray the right words, you know, if you have those, those very magical words. No, no, no. God has told us we need to persist in prayer. Uh, and so Luke chapter 18, verse uh, 6, the Bible says, And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. I believe Luke 18 is a direct reference to what we're reading about Revelation chapter 8. Speedily doesn't mean we pray today and get an answer tomorrow. It means when he answers, it's coming fast. Once he answers, it's going to be an accelerated response. And so back to Revelation uh, chapter 8. Revelation chapter 8, again, verse uh, 6, or verse 5. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. Of course, fire is always likened with it as a form of judgment. And the Bible says, after he does this, and there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake, meaning God's response to what, what had facilitated all these prayers was a movement on earth 
There were voices. There was a response. I can hear, what's going on? Lightnings, thunderings, and an earthquake. Uh, commentator John Phillips points out, and I thought this very interesting, this, this combination of voices, thunderings, lightnings, and earthquake is found four times in the book of Revelation. It's in chapter 4, verse 5. It's in chapter 5, verse 5. It's in chapter 11, verse 19. It's in chapter 16, verse 18. It's earth's response to God's movement of judgment. Voices, thunders, lightnings, and an earthquake. He's going to shake earth, and ultimately he'll shake the earth and the heaven. What a picture we have, number one, of the faithfulness of God's promises. He said he will avenge his elect. You know what? The voices, thunderings, and lightnings, it's just a prelude to the seven trumpets. Once the trumpets start sounding, voices, lightnings, thunderings, and earthquake are nothing compared to what's coming. This is a prelude. The Bible tells us then in verse 6 that the angels prepared to sound. What, we, what we're seeing in heaven is the prayers of God's people have accumulated to the point that God says, All right, I've heard your plea. I'm moving at your prayer. Isn't it amazing that God has designed things in such a way that our prayers can move Him? We have not because we ask not, James chapter 4. We ask and receive not because we ask amiss that we may consume it upon our lust. So we see as the angel moves, we see a picture and a message of the faithfulness of God's promises. He will avenge. He will hear prayer. We see the significance of prayer, that prayer moves God, and then we see the power of God and that God has the power to shake earth simply by some fire off the altar. <laughs> and God, God is in full control. We must remember not only his power with his might, but his authority. And we see God moving as the judge of heaven and earth at the response of the prayers of his people. Oh, how it ought to encourage us tonight to be a praying people. How many, how, many, how many prayers do you think were offered up here that seemingly went unanswered by the people that uttered them? Don't you reckon when it says the prayers of all saints, it means from all generations? You read Hebrews chapter 11, some were sawn asunder. Sawn asunder. They died seeming like they were defeated and the wicked seeming like they were victorious. You see, God's picture is bigger than ours. And there are people that have gone to their grave thinking they had an unanswered prayer. No, it's just going to be answered right here. God knows and will avenge his elect. God will even all scores. He'll bring all things even. He is a just judge. He's just a very patient, long-suffering, merciful God. Aren't you glad he is? I'm glad he is, but I'm also glad that he's just. And here's our prayer. And so tonight, may we know that it is not vain to pray. Sometimes it feels like it's vain to pray. You've prayed, and you've prayed. How many people have prayed for our nation? We've prayed for God to turn things around. We've prayed for this or that. It is not in vain to pray. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Jeremiah 33, 3, call to me, and I will answer thee. Show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. That was said to a people, nation of Israel, and there were prayers offered up that I'm sure went seemingly unanswered, but not so. God has a record of every prayer. The Bible says he has our tears in a bottle. He keeps our tears. What a, what a mighty God. As the chorus says, what a mighty God we serve. We'll end there tonight. Let's, let's pray and then we'll have some time.